Benjamins, baby. Uh. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, not quite. I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Fintech isn't just for the well-to-do. Indeed, when you take a look all over the world, you see countless examples from microfinance to M-Pesa of entrepreneurs making use of digital channels to increase financial access and opportunities for lower-income people. However, here in the United States, fintech applications for the working class trail those of the rich. But there are some companies leaning against the trend, and one especially interesting example is Propel, a New York-based software company. Now, Propel is just a startup, but its ambitions are enormous. It wants to not only modernize the ability for poor and lower-income people to access information concerning money available to them under government public assistance programs, but it's also striving to leverage the channels to direct recipients to other kinds of opportunities, including jobs and employment. And the results have already been impressive, with the company's app, Fresh EBT, now used by more than 4 million Americans. So, with this kind of uncommon success, I wanted to learn more and invited the company's CEO, Jimmy Chin, onto the show to figure out what it takes to do well by doing good, especially in today's emerging post-pandemic economy. Jimmy, thanks so much for joining the show. Chris, thank you so much for having me. Let's start with the obvious, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about Propel. Uh, Your company has its origins in solving technical issues related to government benefits, which is really kind of interesting. It's not an area most people would probably ever think about. Uh, How did you personally even make it into this space, and what kinds of problems have you been trying to solve? Well, Propel is a fintech focused on improving the financial health of low-income Americans. Uh, we started with the food stamp program, which is officially called the SNAP program, and thought about how do we make it more user-friendly and how do we make it as a financial tool fit into the lives of low-income Americans. Uh, but over the last few years, we really broadened our, our, our lens to focus on just the overall finances of the people who use programs like the food stamp program and to figure out exactly uh, what we can build them from a software point um, to improve their overall lives. So the, the start of Propel was really um, through a program called Blue Ridge Labs of the Robin Hood Foundation, which is a fellowship run by an anti-poverty nonprofit in New York City. Um, I joined that program in the summer of 2014 with this idea that I wanted to take the playbook of Silicon Valley tech and apply it to address some of the daily challenges of poverty in the United States. So I grew up in a loving and supportive family that also had its share of financial challenges, um, was fortunate to go to college on a full financial needs scholarship, and then worked at a few tech companies in Silicon Valley as a software engineer and then as a product manager. And so um, I joined Blue Ridge Labs with this idea of like, how do I take the skills that I've gained in tech and apply them towards some of the challenges that I saw my parents face firsthand when I was growing up? So um, after coming to Brooklyn to do Blue Ridge Labs, uh, I started to talk to people about their experience with the social safety net 
and keyed in on the food stamp program as a really key program in a lot of people's lives. You know, that's, that's really interesting and a kind of an unusual story. I mean, when you decided to take that turn after working you know, in Silicon Valley and with tech companies, and you started to sort of mention food stamp uh, and, and the SNAP program. I mean, did you get any curious looks? I mean, were, were people pretty surprised? Um, how, how common was it for someone to even think about this as a uh, uh, as an addressable space? Yeah, not at all common. And I think one of the uh, things that I thought a lot about in the early days of the company is how people solve the problems that they understand. That Tech entrepreneurs, by and large, understand the challenges of, uh, uh, you know, to be blunt, like 25-year-old men who live in cities on the coasts. And that, uh, in, you know, in 2021, the people who use smartphones to access the internet, that's a much broader population than the people who have the background and the pedigree and the resources to go start a technology company. Right. The users of technology are very different than the creators of technology in many cases. And that mismatch um, often Often means that that there are certain populations that are extremely well served when it comes to tech, uh, and there are certain populations that are not very well served at all. There, there are very few tech startups or, 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 or large tech firms really focused on, um, and it was really that mismatch of people solve the problems that they understand that drove me to start Propel um, with this like this notion that I, I felt like I understood maybe a slightly different set of problems based on the way that I grew up um, and wanted to take. The things that I think are like elemental truths about how to build good software and take those basic principles and building blocks and apply them towards, um, you know, a set of use cases that I did not see being frequently addressed by people from kind of a tech background. What I think is particularly interesting is that you're really honing in on a challenge that has long been associated with the venture community. Uh, this argument that, uh, in short, they're a bit out of touch and are missing out on a range of opportunities beyond uh, the demographic, and, and, and that they're too limited in their understanding of addressable markets for technology solutions. And, and you're highlighting the fact that it's a problem with founders as well. Now, with that in mind, when you move to this kind of space, how do you think through the business model and even more fundamentally, the product? I mean, what does the process of innovation look like from a business standpoint? Yeah, well. Um Really good question. We started with the product. Um, and before that, we started with like, what are the pain points? What's the lived experience that we can try to understand as, as well as we, as well as we possibly could? Um, so from that, for that, for me, it was really just, uh, spending a number of months in the community talking to people who were using the SNAP program about their day to day lives and what it was like to use the SNAP program at each, you know, component of that program from enrollment to recertification to spending their benefits. And, uh, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me was, was we talked to people who had EBT cards. So these days, if you get food stamps or SNAP benefits, you get them on a debit card called an EBT card. And we found that everyone with an EBT card uh, uh, has to check their balance when they go shopping. Because if you don't know what your balance is, you might get declined by the cashier and you get into this really embarrassing experience where, um, you know, they ask you, do you want to put some things back? Like, you know, you, you just sort of feel like the food stamp man or food stamp lady at the store. And so uh, the most common way to check your balance is to call the 1-800 number on the back of the EBT card. And uh, that struck me as just sort of odd, right? It's like, uh, that's not the way that you check your balance at a bank by and large. Most banks give you a free uh, mobile banking app that lets you see your balance and your transaction history. So I asked very naively, 
uh, why isn't there a mobile banking app for the EBT cards used by 40 million Americans? Uh, about $70 billion in transaction volume flows through the card each year. Uh, it is a large financial services instrument. Why doesn't it have a modern user experience like every other financial product seems to have these days? Um, and so that's what sort of led me down this, this path of uh, starting off quite naive, but learning a lot about how uh, the federal government works with state governments, the state government works with EBT processors and contractors and all of the IT requirements around building the software and all those things. Um, but, at, but it's also kind of uh, what led us to the product that we create at Propel now. Yeah, you know, just even that that regulatory process, you know, being the nerdy law professor can be really interesting. And and you know, when you look back at the history of the SNAP program and the introduction of a debit card, there were all kinds of interesting regulatory issues. But I wanted to return back to your software, uh, so people have a concrete idea as to what you do. Can you tell us in a nutshell how your app operates? So I mentioned this one eight hundred phone number to check your EBT balance, we really wanted to replace that with a free mobile banking app uh, that would just at its core show you what your balance and transaction history were. Um, That is the Fresh EBT app, which we built and launched in early 2016. Um, And it replaces the 1-800 number with what I think most financial services consumers would expect of a mobile banking product, uh, which is an app that you can log in and just in a few seconds see your balance transaction history that provides you a variety of kind of basic financial tools around setting a budget and understanding what retailers you can spend your benefits at. Um, and that's sort of how we got started uh, with, with Fresh EBT as sort of a financial management layer on top of the EBT card. So really what you're trying to do is improve the user interface with the public uh, or with public sector assistance, which, which is really quite ingenious. But this is the public sector. How do you guys keep the lights on. I mean, after all, you are not a nonprofit, but a for-profit startup. So how do you make your money? So in addition to helping people manage their EBT benefits through this app, we really see the app as an on-ramp towards greater financial health. The fact that you need to check your EBT balance is the reason people get engaged with the app. But once you're engaged with the app, that's an opportunity for us to help our users to save money and make more money across a bunch of different categories. We show content from a variety of partners inside the app. Um, that we don't consider ads. We really see them as like sort of we're trying to build the guide for what are the different ways to save money and make more money if you are someone who's using SNAP benefits in the United States. So some of the customers who pay us to promote content inside of Fresh EBT are building specific promotions where if you have an EBT card, you get a discount on something, a discount on home internet, a discount on shopping at a specific retailer, a discount on certain types of tickets, um, a discount on certain types of memberships. Um, we also work directly with a variety of employers, large and small, who pay us each time they get a job application from someone that comes through us. And so um, Propel's business model today is really focused on being a marketing channel that helps organizations that want to help our users save money or make more money to publish content directly to those people. Got it. So basically, given the shortcomings of the existing SNAP programs, Recipients can't uh, really easily see how much money uh, that's available to them. It's not like a bank account where you can just sort of open up an app and see how much money has been deposited. So you're creating this user interface, really a a window that gets uh, your customers that information. And um, at the same time, you're, you're opening up a channel, basically allowing other participants in the ecosystem to market 
other kinds of things to them, often in, uh, in the form of uh, coupons or discounts or the like, uh, that I suppose help to reinforce their engagement uh, with the app. And that's, uh, again, you know, a, a really original idea. Uh, do you have any idea how often people log into their accounts once they load your app or, or under what circumstances? Yeah, the average person who uses FreshEBT opens it about 17 times per month. And we often find that those times are focused on grocery shopping trips, that the EBT card is really focused on, on, uh, on groceries and food purchasing. And so we, pe- we see people use the app um, to make sure that they have enough money to pay for, for the next meal and to pay for the next uh, shopping trip. So what's the journey been like as you've sought to grow out not just uh, your platform, but really the suite of products and services for lower income people? I, I mean, I suppose that the conversation with venture capitalists must be uh, a- an unusual one, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to imagine it's been uh, easy when VCs are probably uh, thinking about ventures to fund uh, that normally entail high net worth uh, individuals. I mean, what's What's your journey looked like? It was and continues to be something of a challenge for Propel. Um, you know, uh, the company's been around for seven years now, and we couldn't raise any venture funding for the first like two and a half of those years. Um, and it was largely because I think it was really hard to get investors uh, to be willing to take a bet on a for-profit food stamp software company that was going to be really mission-focused and um, create a business model that was going to be hopefully in the best interest of the consumers that it served. That that was a uh, even for investors who talk about wanting to take a risk that seemed like a pretty out you know pretty far pretty far out there risk um we've been fortunate over the years to uh meet investors who did fundamentally understand what we were working on and understood why it was both a business opportunity and a social impact opportunity and that at scale we could actually achieve both of those things by marrying them and building a company that could sustainably build the right products for this population um, and so we've been fortunate over the last few years to have investors like uh, Andreessen Horowitz and uh, Flourish, part of the Omidyar network, and Kleiner Perkins and so on, who I think understand the specific type of business we're trying to build. Uh, but yeah, it, it hasn't been easy, right? I think we, uh, we, we, we really struggled to raise money in the early days, whereas I think a lot of other startups kind of go out there with a deck and a, a, a bunch of paper napkin sketches and uh, can come home with a set of checks. Like we did not have that experience. Um, but I think, you know, in retrospect, it made us stronger because it forced me and the rest of the team to continue to prove to investors in the finance world that we're building uh, not just a social impact opportunity, but a real business that can um, avoid having to make really hard trade-offs between those two because we're trying to fit the intersection. So, so looking forward, uh, um, you, you know, there are really massive changes, um, certainly here in Washington, D.C., both in terms of our budget, um, in terms of things like child tax credits, um, you know, uh, different kinds of lines of really the expansion of the government and governmental assistance. I mean, you, you know, I, I'd be a little bit curious to know, obviously on, on the business end, is this something that you're looking out for? And then a little bit more specifically, because what you do is so closely entwined with the governmental um, and, and, and budget uh, appropriations and the like, you know, what does that actually mean for your, your, your business? I mean, what does it mean in terms of, again, designing a, a suite of products and, and, and even thinking about how you improve 
uh, the delivery, I suppose, of, of, of many uh, public assistance programs. Yeah. Uh, so to answer that, I want to start with who are users really are. I mentioned that there are more than 4 million people who use the app each month, but actually the majority of our users are young mothers. So 85% of our users are women and 87% have a child under the age of 18 at home. So when we think about who we're building for, really it's young moms um, who get uh, SNAP benefits across the country. And um, it was really with that backdrop that when the child tax credit passed as part of the American Rescue Plan, um, that we uh, saw a pretty clear need that uh, the majority of people who use the Fresh EBT app were suddenly going to qualify for these monthly payments from the IRS because these are folks whose income was below the threshold uh, where the full refundability of the tax credit was going to make a huge difference. So just uh, for context there, as part of the American Rescue Plan, um, the child tax credit was expanded uh, on a temporary basis so that any family with a child under the age of 18 would be able to receive a larger credit and that the credit would become fully refundable. Uh, so people who are lower income um, and whose tax burden was below the threshold could still receive it. And that benefit would be extended on a monthly basis. So people would start to receive these monthly payments from the IRS. Um, you know, what we realized is that uh, over a million people who use Fresh GBT um, would not receive their child tax credit direct deposit. Um, they would instead be either mailed a paper check or perhaps miss out entirely on the credit, despite the fact that they qualified. And that the IRS, uh, which is doing a ton of work right now to administer and set up this, this, um, this program in a really short period of time, just didn't have a great way to reach these families. There's no other way to identify who these individuals are because they're not in the existing IRS system, or if they are, their information's out of date. And so, um, you know, what we're currently working on at Propel actually is rolling out a debit card through a partner bank that is going to uh, allow every single one of our users to have a, uh, a debit card and a checking account that um, is not going to carry a monthly fee. It's not going to charge an overdraft fee or any kind of low balance fee. And that allows people who get public benefits like the food stamp program to also have a deposit vehicle that makes it really easy for them to receive payments like the child tax credit or any other payment in the future, that we see this as a specific need that our user base has and that our app can grow to fill. Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting because, you know, there's an enormous discussion and debate about the delivery of financial assistance, whether or not you go back to the PPP loans and, you know, how exactly do you get money into people's pockets, whether or not through tax rebates or through literally uh, direct financial um assistance. Uh, could you sort of maybe talk for a moment about what kinds of things do you see as the, the specific, really in some ways, regulatory problems that you're addressing, right? Because, because ultimately, there is a problem in terms of getting from A to B, and you're creating a technological solution for various kinds of, 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 of challenges that, that you're seeing on the, on the regulatory end. Um, and 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 what what does that even mean for sort of a a private company like yours, sort of acting again as as a critical component or as a component in a larger sort of public welfare ecosystem? Well, I think it's um, I think it's not unusual for private companies and private financial services companies to play this role, right? If you think about where most Americans get their their tax refunds. Uh, it's probably a private bank. It's, you know, um, if you think about where most Americans file their taxes, it's probably a private 
company too. Um, and so there is uh, already a role that private companies have historically played in the administration of, of benefits to the tax system in particular. Um, so I don't think that part's very uh, uh, revolutionary. I would say, you know, where our focus is these days is that like, I think the child tax credit was a huge policy win and uh, getting the benefit passed through Congress and, and getting the funding for the benefit is a huge, huge opportunity, but that we're going to actually miss that opportunity if we don't, if we don't implement it right. That getting the payment pipes, getting the usability, this, this kind of gets down to the, the core nerdy details of what is it like to update your banking information via an IRS portal? What types of identification do you need to provide to authenticate into that portal? It's really like those types of questions that seem kind of like the minutia of implementation that I think are going to be the real difference between whether this benefit is able to, to reach its intended goal, which is to cut child poverty in the United States by half or whether it's going to feel like it missed the mark and whether the most vulnerable families are going to be the ones who are least likely to receive the uh, child tax credit. So that's a lot of what we are working on at Propel right now is how do we help to bridge that gap? You know, the, the, the asset that we come to the table with is that we have a trusted relationship with these 4 million families, many of whom are the exact people who stand to miss out on the child tax credit if they don't update their information or if they don't supply a new payment mechanism. And by giving them uh, a, a, a payment mechanism that's not going to charge them fees um, just to have an account that we can give people all the tools needed for them to go into the system and say, okay, I would like to simply and straightforwardly claim this benefit that I am entitled to. This is, uh, again, you know, a, a really unusual kind of uh, business, um, uh, particularly for a startup, a for-profit startup with a social mission. Um, you know, where do you get your, your, your inspiration um, you know, as as the company evolves and matures and and, and grows, I mean, are, are there lessons from other countries where uh, fintechs have been successful in perhaps uh, executing uh, similar kinds of strategies, or are you really just you know taking your first steps and, and and looking at well, what are the gaps here in the United States, and again, just just applying what you've learned in your earlier uh, work. I think there are tons of places that I draw inspiration from because there are lots of people who've done, you know, really amazing things that I, I really see as um, as role models. I think in the, in the United States, in the civic technology world, they look at all of the organizations that are looking to modernize technology from inside of the government. So the folks at USDS and 18F, the folks at organizations like Code for America and like Nava, that I really do see as um, as our 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 peers and our compatriots in, in thinking about like how are we trying to achieve these goals of a government that actually meets the needs of uh, of the, the individuals that it tries to serve and that our role is to sort of be the other side of the coin that we are not a government contractor we are not inside of government and I believe that there's a role for private companies to play in the administration of a lot of these benefits too and that the reality is there's there's historically always been a role for for example private banks and private fintechs to play. Um, and sort of how Americans manage their money and think about their money. Um, and we want to be a private fintech that also helps you understand how to navigate these government programs. So, um, you know, I think aside from uh, the civic technology world, which I think is full of examples of people who understand how to build technology and understand how to scale and talk to users, you know, in the business world, I, uh, I, I do have a lot of respect for organizations in Silicon Valley that keep a real social mission. And it doesn't have to be like a pr- truly altruistic, like fighting poverty social mission, but um, 
as just one example, I worked at LinkedIn uh, a number of years ago. And, and LinkedIn, you know, does, I believe, have a really strong social mission. They're really focused on connecting talent to opportunity, helping people to get jobs. And I think that's noble. And I think they've been able to scale that business around this animating social uh, uh, social mission um, in a way that uh, is pretty inspiring. So when I started Propel, the idea was, you know, instead, like, I think one of the lessons that I took away from that is um, it's always important when you see a social mission to ask, like, whom, like, for whom is a social mission for? And um, if you don't answer that question, if the social mission does not say who it's for, then you should assume it's for people who look like the founders of that of that company, right? And so um, we very explicitly wanted to say Propel is for people who are low income and use safety net services in the United States. And that's always going to be who we serve. And so if we declare upfront and set the boundaries that that is our mission, that is who we intend to serve now and forever, as long as the company exists, um, that we can you know, hopefully get a lot of the benefits of that social mission and keep ourselves true to it while also building a business, while also building a fantastic team and so on. Jimmy, this is really interesting stuff. Look forward to having you back on the show uh, at a later point to see how things are going. But, but thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today, Chris. Jimmy offers several messages that I think ring true to many long-term observers of the U.S. fintech industry, like the fact that even the innovation industry can miss a lot of people and along with it, many opportunities to do well by doing good. And his journey highlights the fact that opportunities in the post-pandemic economy are to be found in not just disintermediating the government, but also in making government more effective and sustainable. And at a time when officials are very much engaged in rethinking government, I think that this lesson is indispensable. And time will tell whether or not it's ultimately taken to heart, as many leaders, including listeners of this podcast, grapple with how technology fits into the larger picture of social welfare and what it all means for the social contract. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs>